In today's world, we are faced with many things that are considered to be unstoppable forces. What do I mean by that? Uh, if you think of any wildfire that has taken place, especially in California this past year, um, different places across the U.S. and even abroad, they've absolutely wiped out acres and acres of, of land, of houses, anything it comes into contact with. It's known as one of the most unstoppable forces when it comes to a, a natural disaster. Uh, think about a tsunami. You think about a wave that is coming up over the sea and, and, and you, you wonder how they get this kind of footage, these storm chasers that go around and, and watching this giant wave of water hit the beach and anyone who's there is running for their life. Uh, think about tornadoes and just the different, different uh, speeds that a tornado can come through at, destroy, rip off a roof, take cars, just throw it. Uh, I think the fastest tornado that was ever recorded was 318 miles an hour and absolutely destroyed everything in its path. You think of those, we know of those as unstoppable forces of nature. And I want us to look at something more fierce today, more unstoppable than all of these put together. Turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. That unstoppable force is God's grace in action. God's grace in action as we look at John chapter 8 together. We looked at John chapter 7 and we saw the end of, of that and how, it, how Jesus was being att attempted to be taken and the failure of those human attempts uh, to hasten the death of Jesus. When, when people wanted to put their hands on him to arrest him, to pull him away and, and to take care of him for good as they thought, uh, God didn't allow it. And this that the chapter ends with there being much division between the Jews about what to do about him. Uh, this man is, is, is someone who, who's speaking the truth. Uh, the Pharisees and the uh, Jewish leaders are saying, no, he's a deceiver. And let's actually do this. Let's back up to chapter 7 and verse 45. And let's read the end of this chapter together just to get some context of about what Jesus is about to do. Chapter 7 and verse 45. And then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they say unto him, Why have ye not brought him? And the officers answered, Never, spake, uh, never man spake like this man. And then answered them the Pharisees, Are ye also deceived? Again, calling Jesus a deceiver. <clears throat> have any, any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Nicodemus, ha, ah, okay, we know that name from John chapter 3, saith unto them, He that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, doth our law judge any man before it hear him, and know what he doeth? Then answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man went unto his own house. And that's how that chapter ends. Now there's a split of chapters here, but we know that there's the, the chapter divisions are not inspired. Those are something that the, 
the translators put in there to help us to divide between different uh, things that Jesus did. So there's a split in chapters, but there's not a split in thought. These people went all to their houses, and then verse 1 of chapter 8, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives. So we see a contrast in what Jesus did versus what they did. Jesus didn't have a place to lay his head. He was essentially in the but that doesn't mean it's not available anymore. That's, that's what I mean by God's grace is unstoppable. Okay? This morning, let's, let's pray and we'll jump right in. Father, would you, would you show us, Lord, your grace as, as believers this morning, what you've done for us? And Lord, if there's any unbeliever here, Lord, I pray that you'd, you'd show them your grace this morning, your grace that, uh, that can save and Lord, that can is more powerful than all of our sin. Lord, would you, would you show that matchless grace to us here this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to imagine yourself as a, one of those Jews that was there that day, that, that, that saw everything that, 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 that uh, was happening there at the end of the feast. Maybe you saw Jesus actually speak, uh, any man that thirsteth, come unto me. And, and he says, I will, I, will show you, I will show you living water. Out of, out of your bowels will full forth living water. And, and you were there that day, and you went back to your house after everything, all the discussions, and you come early in the morning before the day is getting started, and you come into the temple, and Jesus is there, and he's teaching. And you come, and you sit down, and he starts opening up the scriptures which would have been the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament at that time. They had the Old Testament, the Torah, and the prophets. And, and God starts explaining the Father's plan to every single person around you. And all of a sudden, the door busts open, and you have these Pharisaical rulers, probably dressed in, in Pharisaical garments, all beautifully decked out. And they have this lady that they're dragging with them, and they set the lady right in the middle of your discovery Bible study. Okay, this is, this is not exactly what you envisioned your morning routine going like. And right in the middle of you, you have a woman that was taken in the very act of adultery. And these Pharisaical rulers, these rulers of tradition, though they would say that they were zealous for the law, these rulers bringing this right into your midst. And that's where we find verse 3. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken, into adultery, taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, Master. And here we find the plot of the Pharisees. When had these Pharisees ever called Jesus Master, Lord? They hadn't. Just moments ago, just the day before, they had called him a deceiver. Who else is deceived by this man? They were calling God a liar. They were calling Jesus a liar. They weren't thinking of him as Lord. And so they start to use flattery. This woman was taken in adultery in the very act now Moses, in the law, commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. 
to the zealous Jew, commonly what was to happen to some uh, a lady taken in adultery, they were to take her and the man, as recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 22, they were to take them both to, to the, the judge and they were to execute them both. Here they just have the lady. And so this shows us that they're very ignorant of what the law actually is. They try to flatter Jesus with their speech. They say, Master. And, and we know for a fact that's, that's not what was in their hearts. They, in their hearts was wickedness towards, towards Jesus. In, in, uh, in uh, the book of Proverbs, several times we hear uh, Jesus through Solomon talking about the flattery of people's lips. Near the end of the book, we find in chapter 20 and even chapter 29, we find it talking about the evil man who is flattering people, who is spreading a net for people's feet. But interestingly enough, the, ca- uh, the, the, the characteristic of flattery, what is mentioned in the earlier part of the book, chapters 2 through chapter 7, is known of who? Someone called the strange woman. Okay, so get this. They're taking this lady, a strange woman, an adulteress, they're dragging her in and setting her in the midst and saying to Jesus, Master, they're using the very tactics of an adulteress when they're here to condemn one. And Jesus is saying, that's, that's not who I am. I'm not here to be flattered. Secondly, they try to pit Jesus against Moses and the law. Say in verse 5, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? And Pharisees showed their ignorance of the law. They didn't know what it said in Deuteronomy chapter 22, that both the man and the woman should be put to death. The Pharisees showed that they didn't care about the law. They cared more about bringing her to Jesus and trying to find fault in him, trying to find something that they could accuse Jesus of. The Pharisees were trying to find fault in Jesus no matter what his answer was. In verse 6 it says, This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. If Christ answered, stone her, if Christ said, you know, go ahead, carry out the, the, the law that Moses gave you, stone her, then he would not be the one full of grace and truth that he claimed to be. He was the one that ate with with publicans and with sinners and claimed to be the one who could make them whole. On top of that, they could bring him then to the Roman government and say, see, this man, he took matters into his own hand and he didn't leave it for you to carry out. And so there they would have him. On the other hand, if he said, don't stone her, then he would not in their eyes be fulfilling the law and they could bring him to the Jewish leaders and plaster him as a false Messiah. So they thought they had Jesus cornered. Whatever Jesus says, no matter what option he picks, if he says stone her, we've got, we've got him because we can take him to the Roman authorities. If he says don't stone her, he's not fulfilling the law and thus we can bring him to the Jewish authorities. They thought they for sure they had Jesus, but we see in verse 6, uh, verse 6 doesn't end with an attempt to accuse. 
we see Jesus baffles their accusation. This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down. He didn't answer them. He got down on his hands and knees, as it were, and it says, and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Jesus hears the tempting of the Pharisees, and he stoops down? He doesn't answer anything? You mean to tell me that Jesus didn't come up with a long list of what they were doing wrong and tell them how to fix it? No, that's not, that's not what Jesus did. He didn't use human force or human logic or human reasoning to reason with these men who had wanted nothing to do with who Jesus was, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He used the unstoppable force, the unstoppable force of who he was. He used grace. Some people confuse uh, grace and mercy. So I just want to put it on a bottom-level, cookie-level shelf for you. Mercy is not getting something that we rightfully deserve. And when you do something wrong and your parents are merciful to you, and they say, you know, you should have gotten this, but we need to talk, let's, let's, we need to do better. You, you, were, you were given mercy. God gave you mercy, and God gives us mercy as well, because we deserve hell for our sin. Grace, on the other hand, is getting something that we don't deserve at all. Is getting something that we don't deserve at all. We don't deserve God's supernatural enablement. We don't deserve forgiveness from sin. That is God's grace to us. These Pharisees were coming into contact with both as Jesus stooped down and started writing in the sand. I don't know if it was sand, I don't know if it was dirt, but it was the, it was the temple floor. And his mercy did not condemn them in their sinful state, and his grace was there to be long-suffering to them. As they knew, they were, they were being convicted by their own conscience and the, and the sin that they, con, they committed. Now, Jesus was writing on the ground. Some people believe that he was writing the law. Okay, so maybe he was writing the Ten Commandments. I don't know. Other people believe that it's a, it's a uh, reference back to Exodus chapter 31 and verse 18 when God is giving the law to Moses on Mount Sinai and he's writing the law with his finger. It says it's, it was written and given by the finger of God. I don't know. What, what, those, what, what the answer is. And to be frankly quite honest, it doesn't matter. Why? Because God left it purposely ambiguous. We don't know what he wrote. All we know is that Jesus was writing and he was not, he was not uh, listening to these, the temptations of these, of these people. Whatever he was writing, God leaves ambiguous because what he was writing is not the point. 
So don't focus on it. So what is the point that Jesus wanted us to get? What does is, what is the Holy Spirit want us to get? The Pharisees kept asking Jesus the same question multiple times. Verse 7. So when they continued asking him, if you can imagine Jesus stooping down, writing in the sand, and all of these Pharisees, they take her from the midst, they bring her over to Jesus, and they're peering over his shoulder, watching him write whatever he's writing, and they say, so Jesus, so, so should we stone her or should we not? Should we stone her or should we not? And, and the, uh, ask, uh, the, the continued asking there is that they asked him several times. And then Jesus lifted up himself. And he said, he that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. These, these Pharisees weren't ready for that. Because it was the grace of God that showed them their need and brought them to conviction. Verse 8, and again he stooped down. After, after he said that, he that is without sin, let him be the first one to cast a stone at her. He stoops down again and allows the Holy Spirit to do his work. Verse 9, and they which heard it. Okay, so notice again. The, it doesn't say, and they which saw it. So the focus is not on what he's writing. And they which heard his word. That heard him. Being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. They all left. Every single one of her accusers left, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. So Jesus, here, what this, what this means is not that Jesus was left alone by himself, okay? It means that all of her accusers left. Jesus was there, the woman was there, and more than likely, all of those people that he was teaching can you imagine being a part of that Discovery Bible study? All of those Jewish leaders that you know were, were, had sin in their life, you watch them slink off, oldest to the least. And now grace could spring into action. This is where we find Jesus, Jesus' unstoppable grace. Verse 10, And when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Jesus, Jesus was the fulfillment of the law that she needed. Jesus was the one who could he, he, he was not excusing her sin. He was the very one that could forgive her sin. And in saying that he did not condemn her meant that he, was, he, he enacted his power, his grace, to forgive sin. God's grace doesn't seek to condemn, but it, it, it seeks to forgive. It seeks to save. John 3.17, we often were, were familiar with John 3.16, but John 3.17 is just as important. It says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And Jesus didn't come to condemn people. He came to fulfill the law, to, to wash away sin so that people could be saved. Because we couldn't do it. 
We can't do it. And he's looking at this lady's sin, and he's holy, and he's just, and, 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 and that sin needs to be paid for. But he knows that in just, in just months or, or, or years, whatever, whatever the time span is there, he's, he's going to pay for that sin. And he's going to be the just lamb that gets slain. God's grace can forgive sin because he's the only one who is the perfect fulfillment of the law. Of, of the law. It was clear, it was, it was absolutely clear to every single person there that she had broken the law. She was taken in the very act. But when God Almighty sees a sinner who has is, who is broken his law, he doesn't seek to smash and to destroy them. He seeks to love them. Let me ask you, what is your view when you see someone wrecked by sin? You, you see people on the news that are, that, are not, that are not obeying God's law all the time. In fact, the news is very depressing that way. What about when you see people in the community that are wrecked with sin? And you know who I'm talking about, homosexuals, uh, people that are gothic, that have things all over their faces, people that are wrecked with alcohol and with drugs. Do you see them as God sees them? That's a person in need of God's love. God's grace, something that they can't, they can't experience in and of themselves. They need God to show it to them. They need God to reveal. And God's heart is revealed that his powerful grace saves anyone that's lost. So God was not turning a blind eye to her sin by not condemning her. He was showing her the powerful nature of his grace by forgiving her. Jesus could do this because he had the power. In Mark chapter 2, we see him again uh, forgiving sins, and the, the Pharisees come up to ask him and say, why did, you, why did you say that you could forgive this man's sin? He had just healed a man of the palsy. And, and they say, why, why could you do that? And he says, whether it is easier to say the sick, to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or say, arise, take up thy bed and walk. Which, which one is easier? Which one should I have said? Because both are going to do the same thing. That man's heart is leaning my way, my direction, and is believing in me for the forgiveness of his sins. In John chapter 4, we, we, we uh, went through this several weeks ago. And Jesus is, has just healed the man by the pool of Bethsaida. And he says, Afterward, he, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. And Jesus says the same thing to this lady here in verse uh, 9 and 10. And they which heard it, being convicted, uh, verse 10, when Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, no man Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So we don't have the exact thing of, 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 of her trusting Christ here. We, we don't have her decision of saying, Lord, I believe. Again, Christ makes this purposely ambiguous. We see Christ's reaction to her, which makes us believe that it's implied that she, with her heart, 
made a decision to trust Jesus Christ, and he said, now go and sin no more. But then what is the point? So if God is not telling us that, that, this, is, that this lady's uh, decision to trust in the grace of Jesus Christ is the point, then what is the point? I believe Jesus Christ leaves it purposely ambiguous because the point is, what will you do? with the powerful grace of God that's given to you. What will you do? 